Who's there? It's the Has Been Hoops podcast, and yes, I am back after a short hiatus. Quick shout out to my main man, Parky, filling in and did a fantastic job. I typically don't listen back to the podcast, but I listened last week as I went for a run, and I thought uh, he was excellent, and everyone loves a good Parky story, which I found myself laughing as I was running around uh, the block listening to it and uh, I more so not on his stories but the fact that he was organised and had taken notes for two hours leading up to it. But Chris, how are you, mate? Well, I'm the, I'm the opposite of organised. I, As you know, I, I called you about 10 minutes ago and said, well, my laptop charges shit itself. I can't charge my computer so we can't do this whole thing online and I've had to send you login codes and passwords and you're the one driving this one and hopefully, well, if anyone's listening to this, you'll know that Word I was able to upload it correctly. So we'll see how we go. Yeah, no promises there. Um, mate, I'm, I'm back in Melbourne in a couple of weeks' time and I am not guaranteeing that we're going to do a podcast on no, a Saturday we're, we're, because no, we never we're, do. We're, we're not going to do it. Look, Beers always seem to get no, – beers get in the way. That's what gets in the way. Let's be totally honest. Um, we're only going to touch on the NBL briefly. We've got a fair bit of NBA to get into, but I guess the big news over the past week and a bit was Illawarra moving on from Jacob Jacomas and putting Justin Tatum into the role. Um Jake was uh, an assistant for me back in the Sydney Kings days under Gorge. He'd been a long-time assistant under Gorge over in China and whatnot and finally got his opportunity. And, um, yeah, I, I, I feel bad for Jake. Um, it probably uh, just wasn't quite right for him uh, as, as a head coach. I think he's a fantastic assistant coach, and unfortunately that's the way sometimes that it's really hard to make that jump into the big chair and especially trying to f- follow in the footsteps of Brian Gorgian. Um, where, what have you made of Jake's tenure at the Hawks and, and how difficult is it to fill in for someone uh, of Gorgian's calibre? I, I think that's a massive part of it. I think Jake's a great coach and I think there are a lot of great coaches out there and a lot of being a head coach's personality and relationship driven. And as you said, Jake's been around Gorge for a long time. And so a lot of, you know, I've always believed it's not always just you know, the right message delivered slightly differently or incorrectly is not the right message. And Gorge delivers his own messages in his own unique way. And the same message as Gorge coming from Jake might hit differently. Um, it's a hard act to follow. Uh, Jake's a high IQ guy. I know the guys love him. Um, you know, I, I, I hope that he's back in the NBL really, really quickly because he's got a lot to offer. Um, the, the interesting part was for me and, and maybe even a bigger part of this, and I mentioned there are a lot of great coaches here in Australia, and, you know, Justin Tatum, I actually met him and he's a seems to be a really nice guy. Uh, met him up at the Blitz on, on the Gold Coast preseason. And to be honest, at the time when I met him, I, I just met him as Justin. I didn't actually realize it was Jason Tatum's dad. But what I did, what did come up in conversation was that 
He's relatively relatively new to coaching. He's here to cut his teeth. He's here to learn. Uh, again, seemed like a good human being, and but hasn't got a whole lifetime of coaching experience. And to the best of my recollection, and someone can can message this in if I'm wrong here, but has only coached high school basketball in the states for a short period of time. So, whatever family you are involved in, there are a lot a lot more qualified coaches with much or significantly greater coaching resumes than Justin for now. A lot of them are Australian. I would love for the next head coach, however quickly this happens, to be someone who's cut their teeth, uh, deserves a shot at a, at a professional head coaching job. And we're not too infatu- infatuated just with the name, I think. He's fallen into a job. I'm sure he wouldn't be offended if he was to still cut his teeth for a little longer under another Australian under another Australian head coach. I think one of those names who's not Australian is Judd Flavel, whose name's been thrown around a little bit as one of those people who has cut his teeth as an assistant for a long time as well in the league under Dean Bickerman, uh, under Simon Mitchell. And he's one guy that I'd like to see get an opportunity, but I just don't see that happening. Um, Why not? Well, he, because he would be right at the absolute top of my list also. The reason I'm not saying it that I wouldn't want to see him, I would like to see him in that coaching head coaching role position. The, the reason I say why not is once I saw Justin Tatum there from the start of the season, I thought that was the beginning of the end for Jacob Jacobus because of the relationship that Justin has with the owner of the Illawarra Hawks. I would be surprised if they replaced him at this stage of the season um, and just let him ride him out. And then, as you said, he came here to cut his teeth. They've thrown him into the deep end. There, where he's coaching a team that is not going to feature in the playoffs. He's the best thing you can do out of this season is to try and instill some sort of confidence back into these guys that might have lost their mojo. They had a good first up win versus New Zealand in New Zealand. Um, in an, what can only be described as bowling shoe ugly game. And <laughs> um, we'll wait to see what happens from here. But from all reports, he's going to be given an opportunity to coach out from here. So if he coaches so, another 10 games and there's only 10 games remaining, why would they bring in another? So, so do you think this will be a, a Boston Celtics type situation where the least qualified guy might have the best personality that suits being a leader and a head coach and they'll surround him with experienced assistant coaches like the Celtics have done in the NBA? Potentially. I mean, if we're going off their first game, I'm not sure if you've seen any minutes of New Zealand Illawarra, but they basically played a carnival 2-3 zone the entire game versus the Breakers, um, which doesn't scream like a coach that under, that's that, that seems like a high school and that's what I mean. If if you get if the roles were flipped, so if Tatum was head coach and Jacomus was assistant, that could have almost been the perfect or the ideal personalities cross with skill scenario. Kind of kind of to my first point, it might be a personality thing. Absolutely, and um, I think the Hawks were crippled with injury last season. I think they've under delivered. I don't. 
I think they they still sit where they should sit, but I think I, I would have expected a better brand of basketball from Illawarra. Having Tyler Harvey, Justin Robinson, uh, Clark and Froling, I would have expected them to get a couple more wins or, or be a bit more competitive to this stage. Um, so unfortunate for Jacob, it's going to be a watch this space as far as Justin Tatum goes for the rest of the season. But, um, yeah, mate, well, we're in the FIBA break now. Um, I sent out a tweet last night. Melbourne United are head and shoulders above every other team going into this FIBA break. They beat uh, South East Melbourne, Phoenix, severely undermanned. They got the job done yesterday versus the Sydney Kings being down 15-odd at some stage and uh, an absolute shooting display by Chris Golding. Outside of Melbourne United, what have you taken away from the first third of the season of what you've seen? That this is really wide open outside of Melbourne at the moment. Um, you know, Perth have won five in a row. I, I still think the Taipans are competitive. I, I think Tasmania sit right in that bunch and they've sort of come back, not come back to the pack a little bit, but are clearly beatable. And as the conversation always tends to get back to, you know, you need teams that have got that absolute top end talent. Milt Doyle's that. I wonder, you know, against a team like Melbourne, it really tests their depth. Uh, I think Illawarra are out of their depth. I think New Zealand are falling further and further behind and there have got to be more and more questions asked uh, about the direction of the breakers. Um, you know, outside of that, I think the Phoenix score as well as anyone in the league. It's just really, really wide open. Um, but, the, but the one thing for me, and it... Every now and again, I allow myself to go back to be a player and to be a big. And I, I watched a couple of individual possessions and it, it, it occurred to me how often I've seen, you know, we're in a league now, I think the sport's in a spot globally where most teams, their preferred way to defend if they can is to switch everything. And that often results in, you know, bigs being switched out to the top of the key to guard guards and having to move their feet. But it also results in small guards being sent down to the post to guard bigs. And I saw it in the NBA where Chet Holmgren had a post-up opportunity against Chris Paul and tried to back him down and ended up having to kick it out. I saw one in the NBL on the weekend where JLA had a post-up against, uh, maybe it was Angus Glover, no, it was, maybe it was Sean Bruce, the small Sydney Kings, tried to back him down, didn't score. The craft that comes that is associated with being a skilled big because there aren't as many bigs coaches right now is disappearing. The post-up game, there is there is still a lot of scoring opportunities in the post-up game that aren't being recognised. Guards have a lower centre of gravity than bigs. It's simple. It's science. It's maths. It's, it's not maths at all. Jamie, stay by. I hear you chuckling. Um, it might be <laughs> physics, it might be physiology. Um, it's science. It's harder for taller, longer people to move something short, closer to the ground. But what is really, really easy is to teach yourself to turn and face, keep the ball high and shoot, shoot over them. That turnaround face-up jump shot from 8 to 10 feet, you should be able to knock that down against a player a foot and a half smaller than you so consistently 
that is your go-to, not a back down where you're putting the ball on the floor near your guard's hands, near your help defenders hedging in. I don't know. I just think it's a, a bit of a lost art and it's something that I'm going to get my hands on some bigs soon. I'm going to work on them with their, their post-up, face-up game and their mid-range game and get it back to them being an advantage for them. I'd, I'd go one step further than that, Chris, is that bigs have now been told if they are to post up, they go to a spot in, instead of going to their advantage. And so people just run to the block thinking that that's where their advantage starts. That, that's always where, happened and that's always been because no one has ever played the game as a big that coaches. And so, uh, and I can hear Luke Longley ringing in my ear about the big to big waxing with the high low. And instead of a guard getting the ball on the 45 and trying to do a post entry, is trying to get that secondary big at the free throw line and having the big duck in and use his advantage to just basically put it on the front of the hoop. Um, That's what I say. As far as the NBL goes and take Melbourne United out of it and what they've been able to do with their depth so far, the, the, the contenders... The Phoenix, I still think, have a real issue in pick-and-roll defense, as good as Alan Williams is on the offensive end. His deficiencies on the defensive end in a pick-and-roll setting is a real and has always been a liability for the Phoenix. And that's They're going where... to have to be a, an aggressive zone team to win this thing. Correct. Um, when it comes to Perth, I think Perth, I look at their last five games and who they've played and who they've won against. They, they've done what they're supposed to have done. Like, they're five wins that they should have got. And um, I, I still have my concerns for the Wildcats going forward. Um, I think they have patches where their defense is really poor still and they'd need to lift that to another level. Sydney Kings are, uh, are missing an energy player like what Xavier Cooks has been for them for the last couple of seasons. Like Jalen Galloway, who missed against United also, of course. Correct. And so um, I think they've got the pieces to compete and contend for a a championship, Um, but they just haven't all clicked as of yet. And then uh, Tasmania, I'm I'm not discounting a Scott Roth team uh, just because Absolutely. Uh, we've, we've seen in previous seasons that they could be 2-8 and eight and find a way to a grand final. Um, they've just got good DNA within their their culture and what they do. So I'd expect them to still feature uh, at the busy end of the season. Um, and, and I've been pleasantly surprised by Brisbane as well to start the season. I think no one expected them. I still don't think they can win with uh, a Sobe being their main guy. Um, but I love the evolution of uh, Harrison. I think he's been great for him this season. And, uh, well, I'm, I'm excited to see what they – I think they're a play-in team as it stands. So that's my outlook of the NBL. That's enough NBL for now. Draymond Green, Chris. Well, well, where, 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 do you, where do you put him in the context of a, a teammate, uh, a player, a human being? Uh, obviously, he's uh, ran and gave uh, Rudy Gobert the sleeper <laughs> hold. Um, 
thinking that he was Dusty Rhodes back in Starcade back in 1980-something. But uh, he's got a five-game suspension. He got $770,000 uh, suspension as well. Um, and he rates himself very highly. Where, how do you rate him? Oh, and this is the thing. It, it's such an interesting conversation because, you know, the way you would rate him as a teammate is likely different to the way you would rate him as a coach, which is certainly different to the way you would rate him as a front office or an ownership group. And, you know, I wonder which opinion of him is going to weigh out in the short and medium term. Is it going to be Draymond Green's a winner, he wins you championships, he's got his teammates' backs? Is it, is it going to be that Draymond's a distraction to the group? Is it going to be his unreliability in being available through dumb on-court actions like we've just seen and missing five games? in the regular season or getting suspended for a game in the playoffs when it really matters, he's going to cost a championship. You know, is he a problem? Um, I don't know what the answer is, but I think it's trending as he gets to the end of his career and he's not quite as mobile as what he was. And I know when I got towards the end of my career, and maybe you were the same, that certainly not comparing us to Draymond Green, but that you know that you used to be able to do some things that your body is no longer capable. It becomes frustrating. And the distraction and the problem part, my gut feel is may tend to outweigh that, that winner, that championship piece that the Warriors have seen uh, previously. So if I'm the Warriors, it's, you know, what you know and you know how to work with him. If it's another team when free agency rolls around or a trade opportunity arises, Geez, it's high, high risk. It's not James Harden, but, but it's high risk. Mm. I am. Um, <clears throat> he's one of those guys that if he was my teammate, I think I'd love him. So, so, okay, so I agree. But how would have you, you know, what just happened if you were his teammate and you've always been really good in this space dealing with your teammates as captain? And as just a regular teammate before that, but how do you feel and how do you respond to what's just happened, knowing that he's going to do it again? Because history suggests whatever you say to him after these five games, he will reoffend. Yeah, I think it's uh, he's he's one of those guys. If I can look at it in a different way, I've. I, I, hear Coach Popovich when he used to speak about Manu Ginobili and say, you know, for all the good that Manu does, we know that he's going to do some dumb shit and I've just got to live with it. I think Draymond does enough good shit that they go, all right, we know that he's going to have these outbursts and, you know, put someone in a sleeper hold, punch Jordan Poole and all that. Um, As a coach and as a teammate, I think... I think I'm okay with it, but if I wasn't his coach and I wasn't his teammate and I wasn't a fan of the Warriors, I'd despise him. He, he's he, You're either all in on him or all out, and I think for the majority of the NBA, they're all out on Draymond Green, um, but I can definitely see, and as you would know, as a teammate, it takes all 
all types. You can't all be good guys. Sometimes you need that X-Factor arsehole, and he definitely has X-Factor arsehole in spades, and he's delivered for us. If you're a Warriors fan previously, you believe that he can still deliver for us in the future because uh, while I agree with you that, yes, when you get a little bit older and your body can't do what it used to do, you feel it. He doesn't have a game where he's ultra-athletic, relying on his shot. Like, he does, he just does defensive hustle, rebounding, and, and he's still an intelligent passer. Um, so I still think there's a lot there for Draymond uh, going forward. But, yeah, he he's definitely an enigma when it comes to how people perceive him in the NBA. Well, it's an interesting one because I'll, I'll, I'll jump in on this one. I, I watched the Warriors, and, and granted, without Draymond Green both times, did I just say the Warriors? The, the, OKC, City Thund- the OKC Thunder play the Warriors twice without Draymond Green. And I, I suppose that's the area where you do notice that he's gone. I felt I couldn't have been more comfortable. Granted, the second game was with Steph Curry and they it took a Chet Holmgren uh, three on the buzzer to tie it up and send in overtime. I couldn't have been more confident about OKC going into those two games against the Warriors, which sort of told me two things. A, that the Thunder are legitimate, but B, that the Warriors are in decline and they need absolutely every single one of their players at full strength and playing well to be competitive. And when they don't, it's not what it was like two, three, four years ago. Hmm. Brooklyn, uh, they've missed Ben Simmons for the last couple of games. Do you think Brooklyn's better without Ben Simmons? Well, they've been good. I mean, it's... It's, <laughs> I, 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 it's a good question. It's you know there was I was wrapped to see Ben back on the floor. I've all I've said for the last couple of years that all I want to do is talk about Ben Simmons on the floor. But as soon as he started getting a little bit of rhythm, you know he's off the floor again, and we're discussing is the team better without him? Um, maybe you know is Spencer Dinwiddie, Cam Tom, they've got a lot more space to operate in when he's not on the floor. Um, the Nets have been really solid in the games that Ben's missed, but at the same time, I think you'd probably argue they were pretty solid with him playing as well. For a team like the Nets, it probably doesn't make much difference. For a team who has aspirations to make the playoffs, yeah, I, I reckon you might be finding a way to move Ben on and maybe Ben's career now is bouncing around teams who are playing for draft picks. I just want Ben to get healthy. I think 100%. Regardless of what people think of him, I know some of the Australian public have fed up with him. I just want him to be healthy. I want him to – I want to see him in the green and gold. I think he can absolutely help the Boomers as a versatile four that can uh, help with that switching defense and be a decision maker in those positions. Um, can, I, can, can I just say, Ben Simmons has done nothing wrong to anybody. He's made a few choices that have offended people. He's made a few choices that have let people down. But because of the 
magnifying glass we've been looking at him through for the last number of years, every misstep or everything he doesn't do, Jesus, it's critiqued and you're right, I want to see him in the green and gold. I want to see how he does. I want to see him healthy. Go back to the first point. I want to, see, I want to talk about him as a basketball player um, because he's not like other people, Australian basketball players, male and more specifically female, who have absolutely hurt people with their actions, with their words. Ben's done neither. As the famous comedian said, I'm offended that you're offended so we can all be upset together. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly and um, I think it is the case of tall poppy syndrome that we have in Australia where as much as we love our sporting stars, we also, as a public, also look for their demise or, or a reason to dislike them. Um, look at the Warriors with what they did with their championship run and, and then all of a sudden everyone hated Steph Curry because they were winning too much. Uh, I think that's the the nature of being a sports fan is you you look for the demise because you don't want to see people succeed for whatever reason. Um, as I was going for my run last week, listening to you and Parky talk, uh, you brought up the Dallas Mavericks again, uh, which is fine by me. Um, I, I, I think this is just a regular part of the show now, the Dallas Mavericks watch. Um, so... From the chat last week, they did beat the Orlando Magic uh, by 15 points. Uh, big win, my Orlando Magic. Big win. They lost to the Toronto Raptors, uh, mm-hmm. which hurts them. They beat the LA Clippers, who's not. Who cares? Who cares? And today they've beaten the New Orleans Pelicans. Now, I would argue that the New Orleans Pelicans are. Uh, they did not have Zion again, who, which is another point that we can bring up a little bit later of his uh, punch up in outside the restaurant. Uh, the Clippers, we know, are just in a bit of a free fall at the moment with the process, or what? Well, sorry, the system um, being a failed system. Uh, Toronto is not a good team, and they've lost to them. And Orlando, who we are both high on, I would argue that that's the one good win in in that. That well, well, they lost back to back to the Bucks and the Kings, as well as a loss to the Pels in there as well. So they haven't really taken a scalp. So I, I guess what we're doing here is two weeks after your little your prediction, and we're starting to keep track of the predictions we make publicly because we don't want to make them and then just shy away and never talk to them. But you called them fool's gold. They're one and three in their last four. They're, they're now two and three. They beat uh, the Pels today. But um, I think they need a couple of big scalps. They need a couple of games where it's not just Luca being incredible and Kyrie having 20 and, you know, 25 and five. Uh, they need a little bit more from their role players. Is that how you see it? Or, do, or you clearly you don't think their role players are capable of providing that? I don't think the role players have that much of a say because their two best players are predominant ball handlers that aren't passing players. And so I, I just don't like the whole makeup of the team. Um, I say, sorry, they've lost to Sacramento, they lost to Milwaukee, they lost to New Orleans, and they beat a Washington Wizards team in the last four games. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not high on them. I, I don't. 
I think they're scoring a lot, but they're giving up a lot as well, which is something that Parky brought up last week. Um, I, I like Derek Lively, but outside of Lively, uh, Green and Exxon, they just they just need they need a system in place, and I'll probably put this more on Jason Kidd. They need a system in place where the ball moves around a bit more than what it currently does. Yep. Well, speaking of predictions, can I can I? I've written a few of them down. Yep. Go that we've made over since we started season two here. Uh, I was on record of uh, having Joel Embiid going to the Knicks. Now, nine months earlier was Joel Embiid or Carl Anthony Townsend. If if Embiid doesn't get to the Knicks, I think the only. <laughs> Ironically, the reason is that they've done so much better without James Harden. And they look, the, the 76ers look like a better team and it look, they look to suit him better now that Harden's gone. I wouldn't be surprised if they continued to retool to create a championship contender. So I'm still sitting by it, but I'll add the caveat that it may very well be Carl Anthony Towns as well as originally predicted. But um, again, it's. Uh, that's been public in the last little bit, so it's not like we're we're breaking news or anything like that. Um, Jalen Duran, your your most improved player pick. Can we rule a line through that through injury? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we'll cross that one off and never speak about it again, and, and call you wrong one time. Yep. Um, the Orlando Magic, who I had to make the playoffs, whether by the plane or directly there, and now you mentioned them losing to the Mavericks. They're eight and five. They're in fifth spot in the East. And as I look down, they're pretty good defensively. They're reasonably stingy and they're finding ways to score across the board. They're not going to have a 30-point-a-game guy. Um, But they've gelled well together. They play a a stingy style of basketball. I think they're going to to continue to be competitive in most games. I don't see four teams underneath them that are going to leapfrog them. How, How do you see the magic... Now that you, now that we're what thirteen games in, yeah, I like I like what they're about. I think they've, I think everything that you spoke about a couple of weeks ago with your prediction has held true so far. I probably didn't expect them to be as good as what they have been on the defensive end. Um, I'm biased that I'd say I'd love to see some more Joe Ingles minutes, but you never know what sort of calming influence he's had in the locker room uh, as a stable head and an older body there. Um, but they're just, I think they're a fun team to watch more than anything else. I mean, everyone puts uh, precedence on OKC being fun and whatnot, but Orlando's been fun so far. Well, i tell you what, when I was in Vegas for the Summer League, geez, it's 16-odd months ago now, I had one of those random nights where I was sitting in a hotel lobby bar um, with Luke Kendall uh, and a a couple of others, uh, Anthony Susanjara, and we uh, looked across and thought, geez, that looks like Jamal Mosley, who, of course, was an old teammate of mine at the Victoria Titans, head coach of the Orlando Magic. I thought I'll be buggered if that's not Chris Gent he's talking to. I think last time I saw him, I dropped my elbow and gave him a cheap shot as he shot a three, which is one of my basketball acts I'm not proud of, but did it when I was a very young one. And um, went up and had a chat and they came and joined us. It was one of those, it was three o'clock in the morning. 
I reckon we sat there until 5.30 talking hoops. And, of course, Chris Gent's been an, an assistant at Orlando, and I'm not actually sure where he's an assistant now, but I'm, I believe he's still in the league. But Jamal's the, the geez, he's got a high IQ. He's incredibly intelligent. He's got an incredible recollection of a play-by-play, game-by-game. Can tell you everything about every one of his players, but he's a throwback to those head coaches who was given the job to build a young team and genuinely cares about the players that he's got. Cross that with his level of expertise, and I think that's why I was really confident knowing that the minute the talent level's ready, a little bit like OKC, they're going to be ready to spring to springboard, and um, it's been great to see them start the season so well for the group, but also for Jamal as a head coach. Moving from something that we like to see to something that I don't like to see is the in-tournament courts and their colour scheme, to say the least. Um, if the courts got that greyish tinge, I'm sort of okay with that. But as soon as we get into the reds, the blues, the greens, I find it incredibly hard to watch. Oh, uh, the pur- the purple's terrible. Uh, I agree. Uh, I don't know what I'm watching. It hurts my eyes. It's hard to watch. I hope it looks good in person. It's a bit better. I feel like it's a lot of work, especially I remember – was it last, uh, the weekend before, where Boston played an in-season in tournament game and then the very next night, still in Boston, played another home game? Imagine having to rip that court up, lay down a new court. Like, I I know that they're, they're doing it to differentiate uh, what is happening there and I think the best comment was JJ Redick is I don't know why the Clippers have got a trophy in the middle of their court they haven't won anything yet um, he, he thought they were a bit confused but I'm not a fan of these tournament floorboards and I think that is a an adjustment you know what I'd like to see probably just more of a just a clear skin like I know you've got to have some sponsors probably around, but maybe remove some of the bullshit that's around the decals and all that. So that would be my preference. I don't mind the runway, but I don't think it can be as bold and glaring. I I can't recall which quarter was. You mentioned you didn't mind the grey, like that that dulled Mm grey. I don't mind that if it doesn't have a fluorescent red through the middle of it. That with the team's actual colour it's wearing, at least in the future, if the in tournament, if the in season tournament's going to remain a thing, you'll be able to differentiate when you watch highlights. So it needs to be different. I agree with that, but I think they've gone a step far and need to. I agree with you. Just uh, taper it down and notch your ten. <laughs> I'd go with ten. Um, touch on the WNBL. Did you see any games on the weekend? Anything I stand to- out? Nothing stood out. It's um, I've, I've watched a little bit of Canberra, and it's a really interesting project. They haven't won a game yet, and Kristen Veal has a, a nice young group. I, I mean, I watched Jade Melbourne have, I think it was 18 points and 16 assists. And I, I, I'm fascinated to see what that translation into the Opals in a major tournament is. We've mentioned it's the spot, the position, 
that we need someone like that who can playmaker. I hope she can develop into a point guard. Um, Bendigo, you know, being close to home and close to the you know the pub that I've just bought, I'm keeping an eye on them to see if they're worth sponsoring, and I'm sure we'll find a player or two there that we can have a conversation with. So I've watched them closely. They're they're battling and they're outmatched at times. But I look as we tend to do here in Melbourne, we do pay more attention to the flyers and and the boomers. And the boomers found a way to get over the top of Bendigo last night as we record this. Jordan Canada. I, mean, I was just I about she, to say 26, she, 8 and 7. Like. Yeah, she she's she's got to be, I'm not sure if you can bet on the most valuable player award in the WNBL, but if you can, go and have a dollar or two on her. I just think she's a star. She's fun to watch. Better still get to a game, turn turn the game on television. She's just so much fun to watch and uh, she's absolutely my favourite player. When I flick on the TV, I'll go to a game at the moment. Yeah. Um, McDonald from Perth also had a cracking uh, game, 34 and 6. Um, I think Annalie Maley has been great in the form of she's one of those people that's going to be a consistent 15 and 15 sort of player for and uh at this level if you can have someone of that caliber do that uh well she she continually gets 20 rebounds in the game and uh, regardless of what level you're playing at to get 20 rebounds in a game is pretty bloody special uh and it shows what sort of determination a person has so for her to continually hit the boards on both ends the way that she does, I, I think it speaks volumes to to her and what she what she does. Anything else you want to talk about, mate? Oh, yeah, I'll tell you what, yeah. Um, a couple of things, very briefly, I'll touch on. I, I happened to flick on, I had, I had to happen to look at social media and I, a bunch of people were posting how embarrassing the Bulls were. And, yeah, a lot's been spoken about the Zach Levine potential trades. They fell down 22-1 at home to the Heat. And you should have, you should, some people might have read it, you should have read the social media, you should have seen the memes. They came back and won. And you've never seen a quieter uh, bunch of social media commentary than, uh, than what we had. I thought I just enjoyed that. And, you know, I was a part of a Chicago Bulls team that absolutely battled more so than what they are and, the Bulls, it takes a lot to get the Bulls fans offside. They were getting booed. They were getting jeered. So I, in some small way, I, I felt happy for the playing group that what could have absolutely turned their season to shit in one game actually turned around and maybe gave a glimmer of hope to the fans and, and to the playing group. I, th- I thought that was nice, but maybe closer to home, mate. Uh, you know, we've mentioned I, I'm a part of the ownership group of the Taranaki Airs. In the New Zealand NBL, uh, free agency opens today, uh, Monday as we record this. And it's been an exciting couple of weeks with the conversations and the calibre of players and people uh, that we've been speaking to. It's been great to speak to the players who've been a part of the club before we were a part of it. Really excited to see how we can assist where we can the group that was already there, uh, but also potentially add some really high quality players and people to the group and, you know, create a culture. It's interesting when you start talking about culture and it's actually something that 
you have a decision making a decision making ability in and in talking to Sam McKinnon, who's our head coach and clearly a very good mate of ours, you, you, when you're when you're a part of a league that it's not the NBA, nobody's getting rich playing in the NZNBL, uh, but it's a really high quality league that there is money to be made. But we've we've sort of landed on the fact that we understand people playing a league like that for different reasons, and for the really for the quality, talented players who we're trying to recruit, we hope that they trust us to be a step in their journey, that if we have, if we have to pay them $2,000 less, $5,000 less than where they can get elsewhere, we hope that the environment we create enables them to springboard their, their game and their level of experience, you know, the ability to work on elements of their game that they're, they're unable to work in in other leagues so that their next contract in another league in Europe or back in Australia might actually be worth $20,000 more, $50,000 more, but it's a big step. As Xavier Cooks, people tend to forget, chose not to go to the Summer League after having done that to work on elements of his game that he felt needed working on, won the most valuable player of the league award in New Zealand, went on to get an NBA contract. So we were inspired by what he was able to do and, we hope we can create a program that creates that type of environment for the players we get in. So if you don't follow us at Taranaki Airs on Instagram, but follow me, we'll hopefully announce, well, for us, exciting, and I think for the wider basketball community and certainly the locals in Taranaki, uh, some players over the coming weeks that uh, hopefully reflect that. I, I am very excited to see who you sign as the number one ticket holder in Western Australia for the Taranaki Well, Airs. you've already got the Taranaki Airs number one ticket holder of Western Australia. Yeah. Um, the only prerequisite is, mate, you come across and we don't record a podcast over there, but we do find a reason not to, and that's yeah, to I, be involved in basketball. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, no, look, no. Yeah. Hey, it's been, it's been, it has been a lot of fun. Yeah. It, it, it's... You know, I was a little. You kind of get a little bit jealous of, of Bogues and Longley and those guys involved with the Kings and some of the other guys. It's it's been something I've been really interested in for a long time, and to be able to do it, um, and to yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Probably can't say much while you know until free agency actually kicks off and we get the contract submitted, but. Exciting times. Hopefully, there's some good names to come out of it. The other thing that you want to touch on is the concussion chat and what has happened uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I'm sure most people, most sports people would have come across this in the social media, but there was an ice hockey game a couple of weeks ago where a uh, tragic ending where the, the blade of someone's skate went across someone's throat and end up killing him. Uh, that guy is now up on uh, murder charges. Um, manslaughter, yep. Manslaughter. And um, you sort of had some thoughts around this with the AFL, even with the NBL players and their actions versus the league, so to speak. Yeah, it's. I, I've sat in a number of rooms and I've spoken to a number of people in basketball and the AFL primarily who have been really 
harshly impacted by you know being concussed in their playing days and the effects they suffer years later and uh, I've understood their you know then their want to challenge the AFL to be reimbursed to be compensated and I agree there's a responsibility a huge responsibility for all leagues and governing bodies to do absolutely everything possible to protect all of its players. You've seen it in the AFL with head high contact. You, you've seen rules change. You've seen the, the way the game's officiated change. You've seen penalties become harsher for, for that type of impact. I also, I, listen, I won't name who it was, but I sat in a room and there was an ex-player who suffers horrible symptoms still. still. And he's one, of, he's one of the class action who is suing the AFL and he had been knocked out behind the plane a couple of occasions. And he went on to say in amongst wanting to sue the AFL that he and the guy who hit him behind the play have buried the hatchet and they're good mates. And I sat there and I thought, I'm not sure you're going after the right guy or the right governing body because it's easy to go after a governing body, but there has to be a duty of care as we've just... And the hockey incident was the one that got it for me that especially in football, it's not covered as the AFL is and there are still hits behind play. In non-sporting acts away from the ball, away from the contest, cheap shots sucker punches, uh, coward punches, the sort of things that society has told us are absolutely and should be just absolutely illegal has to apply in the field of sport as well, I think. And I, I just think historically speaking, we need to be yeah, not only going after the governing body, but having a conversation about those guys who hit players behind play who have put them in the instance that they are. While I'm going, and I'll let you speak in a second, there's a second part of this in and, regard, in and around the rules of and the way we play basketball here in Australia more so than around the world. We as a league, throw, defenders throw their bodies in front of drivers with no intention of defending but to take a charge and fall to the ground to draw an offensive foul. You know, Jesse Wagstaff, Shay Illy, um, uh, Taj McCall, I've seen those three just in the weekend just gone. When a, the, the speed of the game, the strength of the players – when a player falls on the ground in and around the ring, A, they're putting themselves in danger of being hurt, knocking their head on the floor. We've seen players' knees, elbows collect their heads. We've seen players landing on them on the floor. I think there needs to be a really detailed discussion around the impact of flopping in the NBL and around the, issue, around the officiating of it, around the penalty for it, around rewarding players who can take defense, who can get charge calls or offensive calls without the need to go to the ground to exaggerate the contact. 
So it's a conversation that I think needs to be started, uh, as is the one about those type of non-sporting assaults that occur and have occurred and the person who's actually responsible for them. It's a can of worms. It's not something you have the solution for on the spot, but I think it's a conversation or two conversations that need to be had independently of each other. Yeah, no doubt there's a bit of Pandora's box about this conversation. Um, To your first point, I've never understood how a non-sporting action, a punch, an elbow, whatever it may be, can be looked at any differently to what can happen on a street and how the consequences could be so polar opposite. Um, If you assaulted a member of the public by walking up to them and punching them or throwing an elbow, I look back, for example, of what I did to you back in the grand final. Had I done that in the street, there's no questions asked that that's assault and what I've done. But because it's in between the lines of a basketball court, it only gets sanctioned by games or maybe a fine, which for whatever reason, it it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So I'm with you that non-sporting actions should be seen as assault um, resulting, not just resulting. I mean, look at the concussion protocols that happened in the AFL and what players got suspended for the dump tackles and all that. Even if it didn't result in someone getting a concussion, people were getting suspended because that was an action that they were trying to take away. The action of hitting people, punching people, I think Nate Tomlinson just went through it with Providence and one of his players on the weekend as well, where he had to step in. Um, But we need to get that out of the game first and foremost, but then the consequences need to uh, equal public consequences for for the action. So that's point one. Uh, Point two, as far as uh, the flopping and whatnot, watching Perth cans on the weekend and Tajir McCall did it because Jesse Wagstaff was getting the call. So he did the exact same thing to get the exact same result. Um, The one thing I, and I'll point the finger at NBL refs here is NBL refs are refs for a reason because they weren't athletes and they couldn't do what we do on the basketball court. And so they have no idea of the physics of the, the ability to jump high enough to dunk a basketball and what that means below your hips. Getting clipped on the legs, and I think go back the week before and Tajir McCall goes for a dunk in the open court and I want to say it was Justin Robinson just clipped his legs uh, that landed in McCall landing hard on the ground. No foul called because they saw it as minimal contact. How they could treat minimal contact on a shooting action with flicking, touching someone's elbow, that's a foul, but not minimal contact of someone airborne and getting clipped on the ankles behind the play. How they're not seen as the same thing is beyond me because the no one's going to get hurt from getting flicked on the elbow, but someone can definitely get hurt from being clipped while in the air going for a dunk. And 
that is more teaching the MBL refs, not just MBL refs, all all referees that, and you like how I'm calling them referees, not umpires. You're welcome. Well done. Um, that is something that should be taught to them. And I think that's that that's. I don't think this is in any way, shape, or form a go at the referees. But what you just said then, the investment in the referees has to continually increase because the level of the game is continually improving. The level of investment into those, given the responsibility of of of, well, of officiating, has to has to match. Yeah. So that's my take on it. I think there's. Like like everything, everything has to continue to grow, and if it doesn't grow, it becomes stale, and if it becomes stale, it falls behind. And I think what we've seen is a level of staleness in the referee standards over the NBL over the last couple of years, and I think they're just left behind because the level of athleticism and the level of play of basketball has risen to another level. Um, that they're unable to control the game currently. I reckon we're going to get a fair bit of, uh, we're going to have some conversation during the week, I think, between us and those. If you want to get involved here and message us, I know there'll be a few, and I think I know a couple of who a couple of you are. We'll, um, we'll do everything we can to get back to you this week. If you've got some thoughts, we'd actually love to start the conversation in whatever format that is. Reach out to us on socials. However it may be, we'd love to hear how far off the mark we are, whether or not you agree with some of it, but uh, let's start the conversation. While we're starting the conversation, uh, if you are able and you've got this far again, uh, give us a like, flick us a, a five-star review, tell your mates about us. We're, we're really trying to build this thing up. Um, were they, mate, it's, uh, thanks for driving today. I'll, uh, I've got my new computer coming in this week. Hopefully the audio comes out okay. Hopefully people are listening to this because if you are, it means I've been able to do one from my phone and where those been able to drive. But, mate, great to chat as usual. Always good to chat to you, mate, and uh, look forward to doing it again next week.